Hey there. We at Blue Wire just wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this podcast. We know everything outside is pretty scary and uncertain, but we're committed to helping you get through your day by talking about the sports and teams that you love most. If you're looking for more great podcasts to distract you, check out BlueWirePods.com. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the podcast and stay safe. Blue Wire. With the first pick in the 2009 NFL Draft, the Detroit Lions select Matthew Stafford. Stafford, step it up. Going left side. Watch Calvin. Enzo got him. Oh, baby, that was a rocket. And it's picked off. Intercepted by Darius Slade. No one will catch him. Touchdown, Lions. Hello and welcome to episode 58 of the Michael Rothstein Show pod bag edition. I'm your host, Michael Rothstein, and thanks as always for listening to the podcast. Hopefully you enjoyed all of the draft content we gave you over the past week. Maybe you learned something, maybe you didn't. Hopefully you go back. If you missed it because you decided to step away from your phone and your podcasting, go back and listen, especially to the Friday and Saturday episodes. We had guests on to explain what Jeff Okuda and Julian Okwara will bring to the Lions. And we're going to try to maybe hit on those things a little bit more as we go forward here into May, entering the vast unknown of content. This episode, as always, is brought to you by betonline.ag. Go to the website, put the code BLUEWIRE in, you get a welcome bonus. It'll be great. And as I've mentioned at the top of a lot of podcasts here over the last couple of days, maybe the past week or so, if you can, if you're so inclined, check out A2 Neighbors. They are giving, helping out with giving, as they put it, a simple way for those that love Ann Arbor to help with local restaurants and our local heroes during the coronavirus, meeting hospital workers. So the whole thing is they are collecting money, which then go to local restaurants, which then they provide food to local hospital workers. So hospital workers who are the heroes among us, especially these days, are getting fed and it's helping to keep some restaurants going and keep their employees going as well. You can check them out at a2neighbors.givingfuel.com backslash COVID-19. That's a2neighbors.givingfuel.com backslash COVID-19 or they're at a2neighbors on Twitter. Can't say enough about the work that they are doing. And with that, we will jump almost directly in to the podcast and into the pod bag. I, I gave some thoughts on the draft late last night in kind of a delirious, um, or late Saturday night rather, in kind of a delirious haze after so much draft had happened. My brain was essentially mush. Uh, it's now Sunday morning. I've slept a little bit, not a lot. Um, was actually watching some of Marvel's Runaways just to kind of decompress a little bit as I continue to make my way through the entire MCU universe other than the Netflix shows. Uh, and yeah, back to hopefully a normal schedule for me, which is much of the same as everybody. Wake up and be in your place and try to do things and do some work and hopefully go for a run or a walk outside if it's nice. Today it's gray out in Michigan for about the 1500th straight day. 
And yeah, that's where we go. And as you know, I hope we're all hanging in there. We're we're all you know dealing with this. Obviously, people's situations are not all the same. We all know that, but we are all dealing with this together. And I hope we remember that and are just kind to one another as much as we can be. And with that, we will jump right into some Lions questions because I will say this, and I'm very thankful. Y'all have a lot of them, and I'm going to try to get to as many of them as possible throughout the show. So we'll start with Nate Simons, who's at what Simon says, and he also had a question. This question was also very similar to at tjamil4916's question which is how intense is this guard battle going to be and how many interior offensive linemen do you see making this roster? Those are two very good questions. Obviously, this comes with the caveat of we don't know what the offseason is going to look like yet, and that is going to impact this question. But I would imagine the guard battle is going to be one of the more watched battles of camp because let's be real – Wide receiver pretty much set with your starters. Quarterback set with your starters. Tight end, you know what you've got. Cornerback, probably know what you have. Linebacker is going to be intense. Defensive line, I think, is a little bit up in the air. Your two tackles, you know what you have. Your center, you know what you have. Running back will be incredibly interesting, and we'll get into that a little bit later in the show, which leads guard. So I think that the guard battle is going to be one of the ones that's watched the most because it's the most wide open. You have one incumbent or one and a half incumbents left in Joe Dahl at left guard and Kenny Wiggins at right guard. You have last year's backup backup guard Odea Boucher. He's still back on the roster. You have a couple of other vets in Bo Ventual who is going to try and take a step up in year two here after not playing much at all, if at all, in his rookie season. And then they brought in a couple of other guys. Don't forget, they signed Caleb Benoche late last year. They also have Russell Bodine, who started games in the NFL in the past, and the former first-round pick, Joshua Garnett. So that's already a very crowded room. What did Bob Quinn do? He added two more guards to that in third-round pick Jonah Jackson and fourth-round pick Logan Stenberg. And it is entirely possible that both of those guys end up as your two starters. I don't know if both will right away. I still, at this point on April 25th, 26th, what is it, April 26th, I would probably say Joe Dahl is one starter and then maybe Jonah Jackson is the other. But it's going to be a very, very intense battle. Right now, I think there are only two real locks among the offensive line, interior offensive line, not counting Frank Ragnow. Now, Frank Ragnow is a completely different situation. So, if you want to include him, three locks of making this roster, and that is Frank Ragnow, and that is Jonah Jackson and Logan Stenberg, because you don't use a third round pick and a fourth round pick on dra- in the draft if you don't plan on keeping them, and it's really hard to make those cuts. Now, sure, maybe they would move on from Stenberg if it really wasn't going all that well, but I think that this year especially, draft picks are going to get the benefit of the doubt when it comes to making the team or not because of what they have invested in him, in them. I expect both of them to be on the roster. So what does that leave you, right? Like That leaves you with a bunch of other guys with similar contracts. Joe Dahl... He would, he should make this team, but he doesn't have any guaranteed money. The dead money on him would only be a half million dollars. So if it doesn't really work out, 
they could move on from him, but I, I don't know if they would just yet because he was a starter for him. They He has versatility. He can really play anywhere on the line, probably except left tackle if you need him. So let's just say he makes the roster too. So that's four. You probably have one of Kenny Wiggins and Ode Abouche making the roster. That's five. Remember, rosters are expanded and active offensive linemen are expanded as well. So maybe you add a sixth. So is that sixth one of the Benchwall, Bodine, Garnett group, or is it Wiggins and Abouche? Obviously, Benchwall would have practice squad eligibility. So I would say it ends up being between five and six interior offensive linemen. Wiggins, don't forget, has some tackle guard flexibility. They were working him at tackle a little bit toward the end of the year. So that's something to potentially watch as well. But I would say between five and six with really three locked in and everything else up in the air. It's going to be a pretty intense battle. Jake Alvesteffer, kind of following that, asks where will Jonah Jackson and Logan Stenberg start? His guess is Stenberg at left guard and Jackson at right guard. That would be my guess as well. Stenberg played primarily left guard at Kentucky. Jackson moved all around the line, but he seemed to be primarily a right guard toward the end at Ohio State. I would imagine that is where they are both slotted. And frankly, I think Jackson, again, as of April 26th, looks like he could be a plug-and-play starter at right guard. Something that Bob Quinn told said on his post-draft conference call, Zoom conference, about Stenberg stuck out to me, which maybe think, makes me think he's more of a project, is that they know that he is very nasty. He's very tough. They really like that. But he has a propensity for penalties. So my guess is that you're not going to see him in a game unless he cuts that down because those are drive killers. So I think he could be more of a project that you, you maybe see. And that's why Joe Dahl, I think, ends up as the starter at first because that's going to take time for Stenberg to get used to. And we'll see. But it would not shock me if those two guys, Stenberg and Jackson, end up by 2021, being the, the starting guards for the Detroit Lions. John DeLeo, who's at John C. DeLeo, asks, did the hole at guard due to Graham Glasgow's head-scratching departure have anything to do with his attitude? Did you notice anything covering the team last year that would give some support to that conclusion letting him go made little sense? No, there was nothing with Graham Glasgow's attitude. He seemed to handle everything. He wasn't happy about being rotated. What player would be on in a position that doesn't usually have rotation. That's just kind of silly to think he wouldn't be upset about it. But I never got the sense that his attitude was anything other than, I'll do what you say, I'm going to play, let's go, and I'm going to play the best that I can. That was the attitude that I got from Graham Glasgow the entire year. And to me, this was all financial because here's here's the reality of it. The Lions are more interested in paying their tackles and their center than guards. And that's just every team has different philosophies on the offensive line. Frank Ragnow is going to be up for a contract extension soon, and you want to tie him up long-term. You want him to be like Dominic Raiola as far as his length of his career in Detroit and, frankly, most of his productivity, although I think Ragnow will end up being better than Raiola. And then you've got your tackles. You just put money into Vitae, and Taylor Decker's up for an extension. That's a decision you have to make based off of what they did so far in the draft. You have to think that... Realistically, Taylor Decker's getting a contract extension. So that's a lot of money too. Well, you can't pay everyone. You need to find cheaper guys to make an impact somewhere. And the Lions just decided that guard was where they wanted to do that. So to me, 
That's what happened there. It had nothing to do with attitude. Nathan Bruce at N Brucer 12 asks, how much activity do you foresee from the Lions now that the draft is over? With that, do you think it'll be pre or post June? Well, the Lions come out of the draft with one of the larger amounts of cap space that they have that among any team in the NFL. In other words, they have room to make some moves. Now, what do those moves look like? I don't really know yet. I don't think that they make a move on a corner now because they've got their starting corners. So if you are a player that's out there that would command a decent amount of money, you're looking at this roster and saying, I probably don't have a clear path to a starting spot. Edge rusher. Yeah, that's an area where I think that they could add someone. Defensive tackle. Yes, that's an area where I think they could pay somebody. I you know, I, I just get this sneaking suspicion that you could see a reunion with Mike Daniels. I have nothing to base that on. It's just a gut feeling here that maybe Mike Daniels comes back at a cheaper salary. Then you look on the offensive side of the ball. I don't know. what Maybe tight end is an area where they would add a free agent. Um, they seem set at quarterback. Running back is a very crowded room at this point, and if I was a running back, I wouldn't have any interest in coming just because of that. Wide receiver, we know that they're pretty deep already. So maybe they add an offensive, a veteran offensive tackle, give Terrell Crosby a little bit of a run. But otherwise, yeah, I think you're still looking at the defensive line, maybe safety, but I think defensive line is still where you're going to maybe see some additions there when those happen, or edge rusher. Uh, which can be a stand-up linebacker. When does that happen? I don't foresee it happening before 4 p.m. today, Monday, because that's when things no longer count for comp picks, but the Lions in reality are not going to be in line for probably any comp picks with the amount of free agents that they brought in this year. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting to watch, but I think that they have a decent amount of money, but it could end up being for a trade. It could end up being for a late cut type of situation. Or if there ends up being an injury, some guy showing up out of shape and you want to make sure you get someone kind of like what happened with Mike Daniels last year. It didn't work, but on the face of it, the idea of the deal was was really good. So you want to have some of that rainy day fun. Plus, remember, they're going to have to give out some extensions here. So more than likely Kenny Galladay as well. So I think they'll make a move for a guy or two, but I don't know if it's going to be a massive impact player other than maybe on the defensive line. We'll be right back with a ton more of your questions after this break from our sponsor, Bet Online. With currently no NBA, NHL, or Major League Baseball, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props for you to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they are bringing Vegas to you. Missing the NFL? No problem. Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. Just hope that I'm not playing them. You can bet, still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest, which I hope still happens on July 4th this year. It's one of my favorite things to watch. It's all open 24 hours a day. It's all online. Go to betonline.ag. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. Bet online. It's your online wagering solution. And now, back to our show. 
So, Michael Rechko comes in with our next question. He's at Rechko6, and he asks, The Lions' backfield was a mess when Carrion Johnson went down. Not surprised they selected two running backs. DeAndre Swift obviously has a roster spot, but who else makes the team? What you project is a depth chart. Does Huntley push for kick returner duties, and does that signal the end for Jamal Agnew? There were similar questions here, by the way, from at NCHunter8. Those are a bunch of questions here, Michael, and we'll try to answer them as best that we can. I was a little surprised they selected two running backs only because they did have other needs and when they took the running backs and who was on the board at the time. I said, obviously, in the podcast going into Saturday, DeAndre Swift was a very good value pick. I like that selection, but I thought at that time they could have grabbed a defensive tackler and edge rusher. That was a bigger need. That was, of course, before we knew they would get Julian O'Quara in the top of the third round, which I think was an incredible value play and answered some of the edge rushing solutions. And as far as the other side of it with Huntley from New Mexico State, he's the one guy that's my Bob Quinn surprise pick. Didn't really know much about him. Just really started watching tape on him a little bit yesterday. Like what I see from a speed perspective, he gives a completely different look. Bob Quinn said he's first and foremost a running back, but to me, he's very much in that J.D. McKissick mold. Uh, I don't think he has a roster spot locked down by any stretch of the imagination, but he's going to be a player for sure to watch. So the guys who have roster spots, DeAndre Swift obviously has a roster spot. There's going to be guaranteed money tied up in there, and he's a second-round pick. I believe that Carrion Johnson has a roster spot as long as he is healthy because he is a good complement with DeAndre Swift. They want more running backs. Bob Quinn has said that over and over again, that running backs a position where they get hurt. Obviously, we know Carrion Johnson's injury history, so you need a guy to balance him. But Carrion Johnson's a really good running back when he is healthy, so no point in getting rid of him. From listening to Bob Quinn talk, on Saturday night, I get the sense that Bo Scarborough is still in a very good position to be on this roster, probably as a third running back, maybe a short yardage, kind of bigger bruising running back because that's what he is capable of doing. Those are his strengths. He's not going to be a great pass catcher for you out of the backfield, but between Carrion Johnson and DeAndre Swift, you have that. So I think those three guys are definitely, or I don't want to say definitely, but I feel confident that those three guys at this point are on the team. What does that leave for everything else in a crowded room? Well, I think Ty Johnson's spot, Ty Johnson needs to come in and have a good camp. Bob Quinn said as much that Ty Johnson was a sixth round pick last year. He knows he needs to come in and impress just like he did last year. Because remember, there was no guarantee that he was on the roster last year either. And he made the team and did some okay things. I'm pretty high on Ty Johnson, but he's going to have to have a really good training camp to make sure he still has a spot. Obviously, we'll see what Huntley does. And then behind them, Trey Carson's on this team right now as far as on the roster. He's going to have to have a really good camp. I, I have a tough time seeing him overtaking a rookie. Two guys that they invested draft picks in fairly recently. Then you've got Wes Hills, who at this point, I, I have a tough, it's tough to really see a path to a roster spot for Wes Hills. And that's really what you're looking at. But I really think that right now, there are three guys pretty locked in to this roster, and then it's going to be interesting to see what they do with the other spots on the team. And as far as the depth chart goes, I think it's you'll see DeAndre Swift and Carrion Johnson as co-number ones. I think you'll see Bo Scarborough behind that, and then 
It's Ty Johnson slash Huntley as the fourth back, which who's more important for special teams, which means if Huntley wins the kick returning job, then that almost assures that he's on the team. And then you wonder, do you keep five running backs? So that'll be something to watch. Uh, I do think he'll push for kick return and potentially punt return duties. What that signals for Jamal Agnew is Jamal Agnew has to come in and kill it and probably kill it defensively as well this year in order to make sure he's on the team. He's a dynamic returner. We've seen that. He has some real skills there. Do I think the Lions would keep separate kick returners and punt returners? I don't know. I mean, obviously, they've done that sometimes in the past. But if you can find one guy who can do both, then I think you go that route. But yeah, if I'm Jamal Agnew right now, I'm realizing this is a make-or-break year for me with the Lions and I better show something defensively beyond just having my return skills because they're clearly looking at guys who can handle return duties for sure. Anonymous Lions fan who's at play to win the game asks, strong draft, but do you think it was a mistake drafting Quintez Cephas over Donovan Peoples-Jones when Cephas has questionable speed at best and current Lions wide receivers don't get separation? So my guess, I mean, they really seem to like Cephas as far as his hands and his blocking. They don't really buy too much into the combine 40 time. They like his pro day 40 time more. I would not have taken him. I would have probably gone Donovan Peoples-Jones over Cephas because at that point, I'm looking at traits. I'm looking at um, different types of options. And Peoples-Jones to me is a very toolsy, traitsy player that I think was hampered by bad bad quarterback play for the majority of his time at Michigan and I believe he can do way more once he is on a team he's obviously drafted in the sixth round by Cleveland I'll be interested to see how he plays because he's not gonna have to come in right away and do a ton considering that they have Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham Jr. there but I'll be curious to see what Peoples Jones does in Cleveland because I think he's the guy that if he gets the right coaching at receiver, can be a dynamic player. He was a five-star type recruit to Michigan for a reason. Plus, he would have come in and been able to handle some return duties right away. Again, at that time, they had not taken Huntley yet, so they still potentially had a hole at returner or a potential hole at returner. Again, why I maybe would have looked at Peoples-Jones over Cephas. So, uh, yeah, I mean, again, I don't know. I said it on the podcast the other day that – to me, I, I would ne- I would not have necessarily felt great about taking Cephas. I would not have gone that direction with that selection for a multitude of reasons, from on-field play to a little bit of the off-field stuff as well. But, you know, I mean, that's, that's the Lions' prerogative. That's the Lions' choice. And, I mean, to me, I would have at that point gone Peoples-Jones or I would have looked at Isaiah Coulter, the wide receiver from Rhode Island. Obviously, he doesn't have quite the pedigree that some other receivers do, but he's 6'3", he's 190 pounds. He ran the 40 and 4.45, so he at least has some pretty decent speed. And to me, he would have been a more intriguing option. And he went literally just a handful of picks after Quintus Cephas. So that would have been a guy that I would have probably looked at there. KJ Hill, who went really late, was another player I would have maybe looked at in that spot because you know he's limited. He's just a slot, but 
you know that you're poten getting potentially a dynamic slot that can eventually take over for Danny Amendola. So that to me was a pick that I think could have gone a lot differently and I would have gone a lot differently with. Now, of course, if I said that, Cephas will end up being a really good receiver and someone will find this, clip it in five years and rip me for it. Joe Hahn, I I'm not going to try and say your Twitter handle because uh, it's just a lot of numbers and letters. Asks, did the Lions draft well? Did any of the selections surprise you in any way? Yeah, I thought the Lions had a really good draft. I, I think Cephas really was the only pick that I really didn't quite understand. I, I didn't totally love some of the selections when they were taken, as I talked about before. I thought you could have gone defensive tackle or, def or defensive end when they took DeAndre Swift. But DeAndre Swift was maybe the best running back in the draft. He's an impact starter. He's a guy who come in and play right away. So I don't think that that's a bad pick. I was just surprised that they went that direction in what was a pretty deep running back class. I was very surprised they get, didn't go defensive tackle until the 6th and 7th rounds. We'll see if those guys pan out. But remember, 6th and 7th round picks are not taken to be starters. They're developmental players. And that's a position that's still the biggest need for the Lions coming out of the draft. But I thought overall they drafted really well. They got the best corner on the board. They got the best running back on the board. They got a guy that frankly would have been a first rounder if he didn't break his left fibula in their third round pick, Julian Okwara, and somebody who's going to come in and really understand the system because he's got his brother there to kind of teach him everything. You might have gotten a plug-and-play right guard with your fourth pick and their second pick in the third round in Jonah Jackson. You added depth at guard with Logan Stenberg, who could end up being a starter eventually at guard for you. I really like that. And if Huntley can turn into a dynamic returner who has is ends up being like a gadget guy, like a J.D. McKissick. That's good value in the fifth round. So to me, yeah, I think they had a pretty good draft. I think, again, this is just on paper. I think this was Bob Quinn's best draft. And I think it might not even end up being close at the end of the day. It could be analogous. And again, these this is high Lions, quote-unquote, praise. But I can see this draft ending up matching... Martin Mayhew's 2013 draft where basically everyone that he picked had some sort of role with the Lions for a few years. A bunch of them ended up being pretty darn good players. And that includes obviously Darius Slay, who is Detroit's best defender for about a half a decade. So yeah, I think he did really, really well on paper. We'll see how it goes here once the season gets started. Cameron M, who's at MSU underscore 2007, and maybe my friend Cam Marshall, but I'm not positive, asks, what is your favorite and least favorite day three pick by the Lions? What day three pick has a chance to make the biggest impact on the field in 2020? So that's a good question. I would say my least favorite pick we just covered is Cephas, the wide receiver out of Wisconsin. I just, I think you could have gone differently there. I think you could have gone with Peoples-Jones or you could have gone, as I was talking about, with Isaiah Coulter from Rhode Island. There were just a lot of options there. I think you could have also just not taken a wide receiver at that point and taken Bradley Annette, Bradley Anye, the defensive end from Utah, and maybe added a little bit more there. Or maybe you kind of gone with Bravion Roy, the defensive tackle from Baylor. So there were, I think, options there that I just I would have gone a different direction. James Prochet, the wide receiver from SMU, another guy that maybe I would have looked at at receiver. So that's the one pick I really didn't necessarily love on the third day. The best 
my favorite day three pick? I don't know. I, I think Logan Stem- Stemberg, if they can calm down his penalties, is a really intriguing player. He has that that nasty streak. Self-admitted that Matt Patricia loves. Bob Bob Quinn wants. Hank Fraley's going to really enjoy. So I think that that was a good pick. It, it was a sensible pick from a attitude perspective. We'll see if it pans out. Day threes are all dart throws, but I like that. And I think that John Piacini, the defensive tackle they got from Utah, could end up being a pretty decent player, but he's going to need time to develop. Uh, so I, I didn't mind that pick either. I just had to learn a little bit about him. Um, the guy who makes the biggest impact on the field in 2020, if Stenberg is somehow able to win a starting guard spot beating out Joe Dahl or Jonah Jackson, then I would say he could make the biggest impact right away. Otherwise, I would look at Huntley because I just get the sneaking suspicion that Huntley's going to win the returner job, at least the kick returner job, and can maybe make an impact right away. We've seen it from rookies before. We saw it from Jamal Agnew as a rookie returner, and he became an all-pro. So I think that Huntley could make the biggest impact on the field in 2020, but don't be surprised if it ends up being one of the defensive tackles because right now there's a big hole there. There's got a spot for a guy to fit in a rotation, maybe both of them, and maybe Piacini ends up being the guy there. So I think that those three guys, depending on situations, have a chance to really make the most impact. But don't forget, early in the season, you could see more veterans than rookies start as well just because of no spring work on the field, more than likely. So that's something to consider, too. Slightly above average American male, who again, bunch of letters for your thing, so I'm not going to say it, asks, should the Lions go after Jadavion Clowney? Sure, why not? <laughs> I don't think they would get Jadavion Clowney. I don't necessarily know. I, I Listen, Clowney's a great player, but I don't know if they're going to spend that type of money. They have the cap space to do it, to make him a good offer, but... You're committing a lot there. You just signed Jamie Collins. You obviously just drafted Julian Aquara. Javian Clowney will make your defense better. He would be an impact edge rusher right away. So, yeah, maybe they do it. But I, it's not something I've heard. It's not something that has been paired together to me. But I think he would be a great fit, and I think it would be a heck of a signing and give the Lions defense some star power right away and I think make them really, really – potentially good if they got Clowney, but we'll see. There's a reason he hasn't signed yet. It's probably financial. Jamara, who's at Jamara23732, asks, do you think the Lions will add a pass rusher? Uh, Yeah, I do. I think they will add some sort of pass rusher, whether it's more of an interior pass rusher like we were talking about earlier, maybe a reunion with Mike Daniels, or if they add another edge rusher, a defensive end. Yeah, I think they'll add another lineman edge that can get after the passer. That's, to me, their biggest glaring weakness at this point, specifically on the interior, but also on the outside. I think that that's a spot they definitely need to add somebody. Yes, Julian Aquari should be able to do some stuff, and I think he has the chance to be very productive, but I think they'll add another veteran there because that's that's a spot that you really can, and they have a, enough cap space to really go after someone if there is one out there that they like. So who might some of those guys be? Obviously, we just talked about Clowney. Maybe they could get Everson Griffin, potentially an ideal, but he kind of is similar to Trey Flowers, so you might be doubling up there a little bit. 
Jabal Sheard is a guy that's always been linked to the Lions in some way, shape, or form because he played for Matt Patricia. So that could be a guy to watch. Again, we talked a little bit about Mike Daniels. So those are some guys that are potentially options. Maybe they look at Jaron Reed from Seattle. He's still, I think, out there. Uh, So I think that there could be some options there, especially on the defensive line that could be pretty intriguing. And then as far as edge rusher goes, you know, one second, and I will basically kind of break that down a little bit more for you. Obviously, Clowney's there. I mean, I don't think that they would reunite with Ziggy Ansah at this point, but Nigel Bradham's a guy that the Lions are going to be familiar with because of Corey Undlin who came over from Philadelphia. So maybe that's a guy that they would consider. Uh, You know, those are potential options, I think. And we'll see what happens. Aaron Lynch is out there as well. I think he could be a guy that could be a fit. So we'll see what happens with it. But I think that they could add some sort of edge rusher. Just don't, not expecting a massive name per se, just because I just don't know if they're going to go that direction. John Heinz, who's at John J. Heinz, asks, the toughest matchup in the division after the draft, my thought is Minnesota. I would agree with you, John. I Between free agency and the draft, I think the Vikings are still a very formidable team. Uh, you know, obviously, they're going to have maybe a little bit of question at receiver right now, just based off of losing Stefan Diggs and how do you really replace that. But, but they still have Adam Thielen. He's very good. Kirk Cousins obviously has shown that he can play a little bit of quarterback. They have Dalvin Cook. And Dalvin Cook is awesome. So, I mean, we'll see what happens. Offensively, they added Tajay Sharp. So that's an option. They still have, they have two good tight ends in Kyle Rudolph and Irv Smith. So I like a lot of what they've done. And defensively, they're still really good. Even if they don't have Everson Griffin, they still have Daniil Hunter. You know, they, they signed Michael Pierce, and that's going to be a problem in the run game. They have Barr, Kendricks still. I mean, they still – and they're, they're, they're flipping their cornerbacks a little bit with having Mike Hughes and Holton Hill – so it's a little bit of a change there. And, you know, at safety, obviously, they still have Harrison Smith. They have Anthony Harris. So there's a lot of talent there on the Vikings. That's, that team really is one I look at, and I'm like, ooh, that team's going to be pretty good, I think, this year. Obviously, the Packers still have Aaron Rodgers. They still have Devontae Adams. They added Devin Funches, but eh, fine. You know, I, I think their offense is, is a little concerning. I don't love what they have at tight end. And their offensive line still pretty good. They still have Bakhtiari. They still have Corey Lindsley. Obviously, they added Rick Wagner, but you know I'm not in love with what they did. Their their run game should be better between Jamal Williams, Aaron Jones, adding AJ Dillon. So that'll be an interesting team to watch offensively. Then defensively, they are what they are. I mean, I still think they have a bunch of talent. They've got great talent at linebacker with the Smiths, Zatarius, and Preston, and Christian Kirksey, but. You know, we'll see. Their corners are all right. They have Jair Alexander, who's a great corner. Their their safeties are okay with Amos and, you know, and and Darnell Savage. But, yeah, I think they're okay. But to me, it's still Minnesota. And then, obviously, the Bears, they added Nick Foles. So, that should make them better at quarterback. Don't love their receivers. Oh, Allen Robinson is good. Tariq Cohen is good. Their tight ends, they've got a ton of them at this point. So we'll see what happens there. But, I I mean, I don't love any of them, really. Jimmy Graham, as we saw last year in Green Bay, just I don't know how much he's got left. But defensively, they're still a very, very formidable, formidable, formidable team with Khalil Mack, Akeem Hicks, Robert Quinn all on the defensive line. And as edge rushers, they're 
Eddie Goldman in the middle is pretty good. They have Roquan Smith and Danny Trevathan like that. I mean, their their front seven is really, really good. I like their corner still with Kyle Fuller. Buster Scrine's good on the inside. And they still have Eddie Jackson there at free safety. So that defense is still really, really scary. But if you ask me to handicap the division right now and who I think will win the division, uh, it will still be, to me, the Minnesota Vikings. And otherwise, I think the Lions could end up being in a position where they're competitive. You know, I'm really curious to see what the Packers do at receiver because I I don't love their receiving core at all, and that's going to frustrate Aaron Rodgers more than likely. And we'll see what that Packers team is like after they took Jordan Love in the first round. So we'll see how all of that goes, but I would say Minnesota, I'm with you, is is the team to beat. David Qualls, who's at QualsZ underscore, asks Bob Quinn once again doesn't address defensive end with a high pick one year after having the worst defensive line in football any chance he gives Clowney a call we hit on Clowney a little bit earlier I wouldn't say they completely ignored the defensive line because with the defense that they're going to play Julian Aquara can fill that role they have Trey Flowers to me their biggest concern is more on the interior that's their biggest need still they need to address that in some form or fashion still because they only did it with a couple of late picks So I'm not as concerned on defensive end as I would be on the interior of the line just because of what you already had coming in on defensive end. Sure, they didn't get a ton of sacks, but a lot of that was because they didn't get any pressure up up the middle at all, and that's part of it. But they have Trey Flowers. They have Romeo Aquara. Deshaun Hand is going to be back. Austin Bryant didn't really play at all. Last year, and he's a guy that they're hoping can maybe be a you know a jack linebacker, hand in your ground, hand in the ground defensive end. Julian Aquara, very similar. So I think that they did address it because I consider Bryant at this point a rookie. So I think they they've got a shot, but you know I, I think they could have done more there without a doubt. Chris L. Dunham. It's at Chris L. Dunham. Just Chris Dunham is his name. Asks, what are fans to make of the Lions taking a tight end eighth last year and a cornerback third this year when most other teams don't use top draft capital on those positions? Should we have confidence that this so far disastrous regime is smarter than all the successful teams? That's a perfectly fair question, Chris. And yeah, listen, tight end last year, I got the pick right. It was a pick they were going to make. Should they have taken Ed Oliver, especially looking at their roster now? Yeah, maybe maybe Ed Oliver would have been the right pick. But and that's who I took in when we remocked the first round at the end of the season. But you know, we'll see what happens when it comes to TJ Hawkinson. I agree that, you know, that, that that maybe wasn't the wisest pick, but we'll see how that goes. I have no problem with them taking a cornerback third. None whatsoever. I think that that's something that you might see more of, especially if that cornerback is really, really good. And, you know, you might look at top three, but the difference between top three and top five is not that massive. And teams have taken corners in the top five in the last few years. Denzel Ward went in the top five, and he is pretty good. Patrick Peterson, top five pick. You can't tell me that that pick was not worth it for Arizona. Like, there's nothing wrong, really, with going top five with a corner if you think that player is valuable. Jalen Ramsey, top five corner, one of the best corners in football. Yeah, Jacksonville ended up trading him, but that had nothing to do with how he played. That had everything to do with other stuff. Jalen Ramsey's a really darn good football player. So I have no problem with you taking a top five corner, even a top 10 corner, if you believe that player can be that good. Sure, there are some misses. Justin Gilbert is one that specifically comes to mind. But 
I had no problem with the Lions taking Jeffrey Okuda that high. He was one of the best players in the draft. Every person I've talked to thinks that he's going to come in day one and be an impact corner, that he can be a shutdown corner. He can follow the Julio Joneses and Odell Beckhams of the world. And I talked to a bunch of people about that, including some corners who had very good careers in the NFL. They're all really high on Jeff Okuda. So I have no problem with them taking that pick. I think that that was smart capital to use because here's the other question, right? At three, where you didn't necessarily have any sort of trade down scenario, who are you going to take? You're going to take a quarterback who might not play for one, two, or four years or ever for you in Tua or Herbert? With this current regime, with where they are, Right now, probably not. Are you going to take a defensive tackle? Yeah, you might have. Derek Brown would have been possible. Isaiah Simmons, listen, I, I've been very open about how good I think Isaiah Simmons is, and I think he might end up being the best player in this draft. I would not have batted an eye if the Lions took Isaiah Simmons. I wouldn't have, frankly, if they took Derek Brown either. But I have no problem with them taking Jeff Okuda. I think he's going to end up being a very valuable player for the Lions, and I think he'll end up more than playing to his draft status, which will be Pro Bowls and et cetera, et cetera. I think he's got the potential to be that good. We never will really know. It's going to take some time to tell. But I would have confidence in Jeff Okuda. The Hawkinson pick, uh, we'll see. Justin McGregor, who's at Just McGregor, says, is Logan Ryan or Clowney realistic options for the Lions? Who gets cut from the interior offensive line and running back rooms? Who is expected to be day one starters as rookies? Any XFL players on the radar? Justin, that's a ton of questions, my man. We hit on some of them. Clowney, we've talked about. Logan Ryan, I don't think that at this point it would be a worthwhile option for either side because for the Lions, you've got – your two, you've got your three starting corners now in Trufant, who you paid a good amount of money to, Justin Coleman, who you paid a lot of money to last year, and Jeff Okuda, who Bob Quinn has basically come in and said if he's not a day one starter, he should be a starter very soon after that. And I would think if he had an offseason, it would automatically be a day one starter. They're expecting Jeff Okuda to start. They do have confidence in Amani Awarie, so he's a guy that potentially could come in beyond that. And Honestly, I don't see you signing Logan Ryan as a stopgap fill-in. He's going to cost too much money for that. And from Logan Ryan's perspective, you want to go somewhere where you're going to start and you're going to play, especially if you end up signing only a one-year deal so you can get to the market again. And to me, Detroit's not that answer. So I just can't see Logan Ryan being a smart, this being a smart pairing for either team or player. Who gets cut from the interior offensive line? We hit that a little bit at the top. It's way too early to predict any sort of cuts as far as the offensive line goes. You know, I I just can't really look at that right now. I I think there could end up being a couple guys who end up getting released once they sign undrafted free agents. But, you know, just looking at the list really quick, I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe a guy like a Matt Nelson or a Casey Tucker uh, or, or Dan Skipper, although Skipper's more of a tackle, you know, maybe doesn't doesn't get to training camp. But other than that, I think it's going to be a wide open competition running back. Same way. I think it's going to be a pretty wide open competition. I look at the list right now and I would say Wes Hills and maybe Trey Carson of the guys who are on the roster right now are are most in danger of maybe not getting to camp. But I think you could see all of them in camp. We'll see what happens. Day one starters are rookies. Jeff Okuda should be a day one starter without a doubt. Uh, DeAndre Swift, I think, will be a day one co-starter with Carry On Johnson, 
We'll see just because of also how Matt Patricia likes to work his running backs in and get them time and get them accustomed. So I much like he did with carry on Johnson. So I think you could see maybe not a day one starter, but an early impact player from DeAndre Swift. I think Jonah Jackson ends up winning the right guard role as of now. So that's three. And we'll see what happens with Julian Aquara. Not because of talent, but I think it could be more of a rotational situation early on especially depending how they use Jared Davis or Jamie Collins. So I would say four, and then we'll see what happens with Logan Stenberg, if he's able to win that left guard job. I don't think that happens right out of the gate. But I would say three for sure, I feel very confident and could be day one starters, and we'll see how they view uh, Julian O'Quara. As far as XFL players, nothing that I've heard, but that doesn't mean anything. I'm not going to pretend that I've been really studying up too hard on the XFL players on the radar. I think right now... Bob Quinn and his staff are going to decompress and then make some decisions. Joel Depker, who's at Joel Depker, asks, what position do the Lions look to shore up in undrafted free agency? There have been some that have already, the Lions haven't announced them yet, but some have been announced by other people, whether it's colleges or players themselves. They added a punter. They added a long snapper. They added a couple of other positional players there. I, but here's the thing, and this is why I added this question. You're not shoring up a position with undrafted free agents, especially this year when they're not going to have much of a chance to impress at all in the spring. Who knows what type of looks they'll actually get in training camp unless there are injuries, and we'll see how long training camp is. Maybe a longer camp will give some guys some looks. But it's going to be hard for undrafted free agents to make this team this year and harder for them still to make an impact. So I'm not sold that you're going to see Many, if any, undrafted free agents make this team. Uh, maybe one will. It, all, it seems to happen every year. But this year, I just have a really tough time seeing that. So I'm not, I would not look at undrafted free agency to shore up any position for the Lions at this point. And also, that comes with this, which is right now... If you look at their roster, they didn't have a lot of spots for UDFAs anyway. That was by design. So I just don't see them that being a shore up thing. If anything, you're probably seeing some camp bodies, maybe some looks for guys who will have an inside track at the practice squad. I mean, the one guy could be the punter. We'll see what happens there um, because that, that competition is going to be wide open as well. So just going to be something to watch. But I don't, I, I think that undrafted free agency was used better in prior years than now the one guy is the tight end from Washington Bryant he's a guy that maybe can end up pushing for a roster spot but at most he would be the number three tight end let's just be honest because they're paying Jesse James enough money that he's going to be the number two tight end and Hawkinson was their first round pick last year he's going to be their number one tight end so I just don't really see it when it comes to undrafted free agents this year Tony Sinelli, who's at TSIN42, asks, Who should we be targeting in free agency now? What previous Lions players were negatively impacted by the draft? I talked a little bit about the free agents before. So I'll look at the Lions players who were negatively impacted by the draft. I think you can start at running back where Carryon Johnson and Bo Scarborough are going to lose carries to DeAndre Swift. And Ty Johnson is going to be in a battle for a roster spot with Justin Huntley. Like, those two things are true. Like, it's just going to be what happens. So those guys, yeah, they're both that, – that whole room right now is going to be a real open competition. It's going to be a fun one to watch when training camp comes around. But 
to me, any running back that wasn't drafted was negatively impacted by this draft. Although you can look at it, especially from Kerryon Johnson's case, as maybe a positive because the workload won't be as heavy for you. So maybe you've got a chance to stay healthier. The guards, um, every guard that wasn't drafted, I think, was negatively impacted because they drafted two guards and they drafted them high enough where theoretically they could end up being starters. And as I've said, I think one of them ends up being a day one starter or clo- or darn close to it in Jonah Jackson. So if I'm a guy like a Russell Bodine, like a Joshua Garnett, like, you know, even Joe Dahl, I- I'm a little bit concerned, maybe less so if I'm Joe Dahl, but I'm I'm concerned if I'm a guard like Kenny Wiggins and Ode Abouche. I just don't know if there's going to be room for both of them, as we talked about before. Bo Benchwal probably wondering how he, he just got drafted over, frankly. So those guards, I would be concerned if I am them. Um, Defensively, I don't know if there's anyone who would be concerned as far as you know, negatively impacted by the draft at corner although obviously if they had not taken a corner Amani Awarie would have probably been in line to be a starter but I think at that point you would have looked at free agency to maybe a Logan Ryan or Prince of Mukamara I, I think everyone always knew that that other starting corner likely wasn't on the team yet although Awarie could end up being a starter by year three we'll see what happens with Trufant and I like Awarie a lot. So I wouldn't say anyone was negatively impacted there. Um, defensive tackle, maybe some of the depth guys. But again, sixth, seventh round picks, they're just as likely to not make the team as they are to make the team. So I wouldn't say I think it just created more competition there. Um, other than that, I mean, maybe a guy like Austin Bryant's negatively impacted, but he didn't really play last year, so it's tough to say as far as with them taking Julian Okwara. Romeo Okwara, I would have thought maybe initially could have been negatively impacted by them taking his brother, but I think you could see him being more of an inside-outside or an outside-inside guy, so he might play a little bit of a different position, maybe combined with Deshaun Hand there to kind of shore up that situation. So I don't know. I, I don't think that they really got anywhere where like too much of an impact is going to come into play uh, as far as that wasn't expected before. Lions beat writers replier guy who's at beat Lions asks, I heard Piacini is relatively long, but can sometimes appear stiff. Have you seen that on tape? <laughs> I mean, I haven't watched much of him yet. I know where you're going with that, but I want to talk a little bit about Piacini because I think he's a guy that could end up being a good run stopper for them. I think he's somebody that could be Danny Shelton's backup right away, could end up being a rotational guy. We'll see if he can work on some of the pass rush stuff, but I think he's a guy that frankly could end up making the team, could end up being their third defensive tackle. If they don't sign anyone, if they do sign someone, maybe he ends up being their fourth defensive tackle. I I think he's got a real shot to make the team, so I wanted to at least answer that question. But, you know, I appreciate, I applaud the creativity and the double entendre Lions beat writer, replier guy. But, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. Obviously, for late round picks, I think it's going to be really, really hard to make the team. Phenom, who's at Bolt Jakupov, asks, what? What would you set the line at for how many games into the season Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn get fired? I Only, again, adding this question because it comes up 
with a lot of people that I just talk to randomly used to be when I was out in the community, but obviously not out now with isolation. Uh, and I am pretty masked up and gloved up and hooded up when I go to the grocery store, which is the only time I go out, not on a run these days. So I, I try not to talk or have a conversation with anyone. I think they last the season. Uh, we don't know the schedule yet. That's going to come into play. But I think that they've put together a roster that should be competitive enough to to be hanging around for a good portion of the year. And especially this year with it being what it's being, I, I would be surprised if you saw any in-season firings regardless because I think people, owners, coaches and GMs, everyone's going to be kind of understanding this is a different type of year that they're going to be going into. And who knows what the season will even look like. So I, I just don't know if that's going to happen this year. We'll see what happens after the season. I think obviously if there's not progress – then you could definitely see a move being made. But I don't know if an in-season thing happens unless they're going over, you know, and they have a later buy than maybe. But I, I think if they're hanging around the 500 mark, something like that, whenever the buy is, which we don't know yet because the schedule hasn't come out, I would imagine that they end up sticking for most, if not all, of the season and could end up being successful enough to, to get 2021. We shall see. And the last question comes from Mark Wolheiser, who's at Mark underscore Wolheiser, who says, are you concerned about the lack of a pass rush? Yes. Still concerned about it. Was concerned about it before the draft. Still concerned about it now as far as what the Lions are able to do. I think it's a problem. I think they need to get better on the defensive line still with in free agency. We talked about that a little bit before. And I think that, yeah, they could add an edge rusher. Uh, they could use some more speed off of the edge there, uh, without a doubt. I, I think that, that that's still the main concern when I look at this roster. I think they sh- they shored up their cornerback position. I think their linebackers are on the whole better. Uh, I think they've got more scheme fits. So, yeah, that pass rush, though, still a concern, still a worry. We'll see what happens here down the road as we're not going to know much for a long time here. But, yeah, definitely, definitely concerned. I want to thank all of you for your questions. Obviously, we had about almost an hour's worth of questions to go through and to talk about. Hopefully, you got something from this podcast. We'll be back to our regular schedule now, more than likely. Should have a podcast Thursday. Might go to once a week here at some point, depending on what we're looking at uh, and just interview schedules and my own schedules. I try to take a little bit of downtime, but really appreciate everybody sticking with us through all of this. Hopefully you've enjoyed the draft week coverage. Hopefully you've enjoyed my podcasts. If you can leave us a five-star review or more importantly, download and subscribe this podcast. If you can, that only helps us. Remember I mentioned at the top a two neighbors, give them a follow, maybe on Twitter, consider donating to them. If you have the means to do so, I think they're doing some really good work. Thanks as always to my producer, David Woodley, to Blue Wire Podcasts, to Regents Field, to betonline.ag for sponsoring and hosting this podcast. You can follow me on Instagram and on Twitter at Mike Rothstein. And yeah, thanks for listening. And we will chat with you again on Thursday as we enter into the post-draft period.